Welcome to Living the Reclaim Life podcast. I'm Denisha. We're glad you're here for conversations that revive hope, inspire healing, and encourage you to live a vibrant life with Christ. So grab a cup of coffee as we chat with today's guest. Welcome to the podcast today. I am so excited for you to meet two amazing people, Angel and John. Angel is a counselor at Whole Hope Christian Counseling Center, and John is a co-lead pastor at New Life Bible Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona. John also has a blog at thebeehive.live, and we'll put their contact information in our show notes as well. But first, we want you to meet them. So Angel and John have an incredible story of God's restoration in their marriage, and we want you to experience the fullness of what God has done here. So in order to do that, we are going to make this a two-part podcast. So you are not going to want to miss next week um, as we talk about God's restoring power in their relationship. And so without further ado, I would love to introduce Angel and John. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to just have our listeners hear all that God has done in you guys' life. It's really amazing. I have the privilege of knowing about your story, and we have a ton of similar friends that kind of run in the same circles. So I'm excited for you to share with us. And I know not all parts of your story are easy, but where you sit right now as I get to look at you guys is amazing. So where would you guys like to begin in sharing your story with us? Sure. Yeah, I'll start. Our story starts in childhood. When I was in fourth grade, I went to a wedding of our pastor and his bride. And I remember sitting at the reception table and I saw the bride and I said, Lord, I want to be like her one day. And in my fourth grade mind, it was beauty that I was after. I saw her, she was beautiful, and she was a pastor's wife. And so in that fourth grade little mind, I said, Lord, would you make me a pastor's wife one day? I had longed to get married from a very young age. So I dreamed about my marriage. I dreamed about my wedding day. I planned it. In sixth grade, I made a list of all the characteristics I wanted in my future husband. Very specific. It's probably two pages long, actually, if I recall. And the first one on that list was that I wanted a man who loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second thing I wanted on that list was I wanted him to love me. The third one was I wanted him to love kids. And then I had all of my special requests for the Lord after that. And I was very intentional to pray for that kind of man from the beginning of sixth grade until I met him. I wanted eyes to see who I had been praying for. And so that day came as a freshman. I entered our high school campus. Well, let me pause there. Want to talk about your elementary years? Sure, sure. So part of my story is an identity story for both of us in some ways. And for me, the way that God worked in my life is that he called me to himself vocationally in salvation at the same time. And so as a 10-year-old boy at a missions conference, I felt the vocational call of God on my life to full-time ministry. And I didn't really fully understand what that looked like at the time. In fact, I would have communicated that as a call to missions at the time. But ultimately what that meant for me is, so then I met with our children's pastor and he asked the most important question you could ask a child who's talking about a vocational call, which is, well, have you put your trust in Christ yet? (laughs) And so at that time, I put my trust in Christ. And so my identity in Christ from an early age, one of the greatest blessings God has given me was the clarity of my vocational call in life. It also served as one of the greatest challenges for me. 
because unwrapping my identity in Christ outside of me being a pastor would be a lifetime of navigating. And so ultimately, you'll see those seeds coming back in our marriage and the negative impacts of that in my life. The positive impacts were that I was a pretty focused kid and focused even teenager and high school student in what it looked like for me to become a pastor. And so I was set on that path when our paths crossed. I'm amazed. So you said you were 10 and you were in fifth grade. I was in fourth grade. You're in fourth grade. Yeah. And both of you, I mean, right around the same age, God's calling you, you find the Lord, put your trust in him and you're praying for John and you didn't even know that. Like all of this is happening. Look at how God can be so omnipresent in both of your lives. Yeah. And part of my, that, you know, young desire also shaped my identity. That's where the weakness came in that I was forming an identity at a very young age as a wife. And that proved destructive down the road. It was a misalignment of my true identity in Christ. And so we get to high school. I see John. He's the president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes on our high school campus. And I'm this little freshman mouse. (laughs) But I thought, oh, that's the man I want to marry. And so I remember just praying. I went into the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, like lunch meeting. We had never met. But I started praying right away for a friendship with John. And that's something I just so value that the Lord allowed. Just at a young age, I knew that the only way I could find the right kind of man was if God brought him to me and that I was longing for. But in that, the danger in that, there was a dependency on God, but there was also this very idealistic view of marriage and for what it gave me that was very unhealthy. And so... I pray for a friendship. We become friends. I start praying for a relationship. And then two weeks before he left for college, John asked me to court him. And by that, mm-hmm. we dated with the intention of marriage. We had a lot of fun in high school, but we mostly did group stuff. So I'll fast forward us. So I graduate from college, two-year gap between us. So I graduate from college a little bit early, and we immediately get married. Well, we date long distance, too. Yeah, so we courted long distance. We get married, um, 21, she's 19. So we've known each other for many, many years. And the gift of that is that we've walked a long path together. We've seen God work in each other's life. We've seen each other change. But the challenge of that, and we always share this with couples as they prepare for marriage, if you're a young couple, you will change. And if you are resistant to change. If you're resistant to your spouse changing, that is going to be a massive challenge because the only guarantee is that you're going to change. You're going to change a lot. That's true. And so 21 to 19, Angel then works her way through, she gets through college and then we go to seminary, which, you know, at age 23, I think is maybe 24. I think 24 is when I would have started seminary. And at that age, it really felt like a long time coming for me. I'm a young man, but it felt a long time coming for me. Angel's pregnant with our firstborn as we depart the state of Arizona for the state of New Jersey. And she cries all the way to the state line (laughs) because I was dragging her away from her family as she was seven months pregnant. And we headed to New Jersey. There, she, Angel really began kind of a series of kind of exploration of who she was, of her identity, vocational identity. 
She had been kind of dead set on being an elementary school teacher until her final semester in college when she actually did her elementary school placement and was also parenthetically experiencing sickness at the time, first trimester, (laughs) all of the wonders of that. So she decided, okay, I'm going to stay home for the first year with our daughter. And then ultimately decides to go back to seminary herself for a counseling degree. Go ahead. Part of that decision to go to seminary, knowing that John was going, at this point, it was pretty set in the pastoral direction, right? There was a time where he was, the vocational call to ministry was absolute. There was a time where there was questioning, do I go into academia, maybe for a little bit of time there. But as he was going into the pastoral degree, I wanted to have an identity outside of his theology. Maybe, is that a good way of saying that? Yeah, you wanted to be able to hold your own. Yeah, I wanted to be able to hold my own as a pastor's wife. That's a good way of putting it. And so, and articulate why I believe what I believe. Yeah, in a very real and concrete way. And so he had a good friend come over and he encouraged me to check out Westminster Theological Seminary. And it was such a good decision. I went ahead and got my master's in biblical counseling there. And the decision for biblical counseling actually was because it was such a relational degree. I've always been one to want to know people's stories. I remember as a little girl, I would look in people's purses that would come over to our house. (laughs) Did you do that too? (laughs) No, but I really wanted to though. (laughs) I actually did it, but I would find things and then I'd find what I would call little treasures or a ring that they would wear. And I would ask questions like, where's this story come from? What does this mean? So biblical counseling, when I look back on the patterns of my life and things, it was just a fitting degree. And I'm so grateful I did it. God just affirmed so many things along that way. So we both ended up graduating from seminary in 2006. And at that point, we also had our second child, our son. So we were both in full-time school and had our two little ones. And so it was a lot, but it was also a big gift. There was a big gift in that. But then we enter full-time ministry. And that's where I would say my heart started to change in a lot of ways towards John because in a very real way, I started feeling like I was losing my husband to the church. And that was really, really difficult. I started to just resent that, get angry with that. He was in full-time pastor mode and I went into full-time counseling mode. I also was the person responsible for our benevolence fund or team. And so I was the 24 kind of hour on call person. Mm -hmm. We opened up our home to pretty much anyone and everyone who wanted to live with us or stay with us. So we had live-in house guests for three years. Oh, no. Oh, no. Way more than that. Yeah. I don't even remember. We had house guests that lived with us for the first however many years of ministry. We're young. We have two babies. We're going in full-time in two different directions. Yet, you know, I ran the donut ministry on Sunday mornings. I was the pastor's wife who thought I needed to say yes to everything. Not because the church put that on me, but because I really believe I somehow in my fourth grade little mind, like this is what a pastor's wife does. And I just cultivated Mm -hmm. this fantasy that later on in life I began to step into. Mm -hmm. But it was one that I created. And so I didn't say no We didn't protect us in that and our time. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about that part? Yeah. I mean, I would say going back to myself as a child, you know, age 27, I became a pastor, which seems like a fairly young age, fairly normal age to begin pastoring. And yet for me, it felt forever, you know, 10 years old. It was 17 years in the making. 
And so I absolutely was chomping at the bit and just threw myself into ministry. And there's all sorts of factors as well in the context of that church. We had an associate pastor who left very soon upon my arrival, and we never really fully filled that position and also began a relocation effort that I was in charge of. And so there was just a massive amount of work, and my heart was in a place where my priority was, which was angel. But in terms of my actual heart, I didn't believe that nor live out of that place. And so the way I actually lived was as though I had two wives. I had the church was my bride and Angel was my bride. And one bride was a whole lot more demanding than the other one. And it was not Angel. (laughs) And so I gave and I gave and I gave and I emotionally and intellectually rationalize that this is just a season we can pour back into our relationship after the season Mm -hmm. and it just when your heart is there the season's never going to end because there's never an end of need there's never an end of need and so i positioned our marriage in such a place that angel was left constantly with unmet needs constantly not prioritized in the marriage and so bitterness grew and i felt that And also felt at the same time as though I could never meet her demands. Ironically, the praise and respect from the church felt easier and appreciation from the church felt easier. And that's just a dangerous place to be. Yeah. So can I fast forward us to the summer from Hades? Well, real quickly, I think part of our downfall too was with me going into full-time counseling, I took on all kinds of, you know, self-harm, addiction, adultery, eating disorders, domestic violence, like you name it, I was working with it. And so my heart, not only was it growing angry towards John, not only was it growing angry towards the church and the leadership and not feeling protected there or our marriage protected there, it was growing like angry towards sin, like just how destructive sin is. And I hated it. And there was nothing I could do to fix it. And so I remember as a young counselor, there was a lot of weight that I put on myself because I just wore the hat of just responsibility, that it was my job as their counselor to help and to fix. And that was not my job. (laughs) Right. And so there was this added just layers of not only unmet needs at home and at church, but also just in my own vocation. And I was slowly becoming a very hateful person. So three years in, we get to this place. We had hired another associate pastor who actually happened to live with us because of just circumstances in his life for a year. And it was a challenging relationship in both aspects. What was actually happening behind the scenes is that he was suffering with significant mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And so he was battling depression and in our home was not treating us well at work, was doing a really poor job. And so, you know, it's one of those things that I was doing his job not long before that. And it was kind of better to be in that place than to have a coworker who's not doing their job and having to do their job. (laughs) And so he moved out that summer and then a week later attempted suicide. Mm. That spun everything. His job fell back on me. We were trying to care for him. We were trying to care for his family. We were trying to care for the church family. 
And in the midst of that wake, which was an incredibly dark time, one of the most difficult things early in ministry for both of us, just a month later, or weeks later, actually, Angel's boss for her counseling ministry, it was revealed that he had had a sexual relationship with one of his clients. And so as a member of the church, he went under discipline of the church. His practice then was carried over to Angel. And wow. at that time, I could see my wife slipping. I could see her heart just churning in turmoil and darkness. And ultimately, at the end of that summer, and I could have pinpointed it to the day or to 24 hours, her heart really went cold, dark, bitter toward God first and toward me second. Yeah, I can tell you the exact day I found it in my journal. <clears throat> June 6, 2009, I was very angry and I said, I was cursing at the Lord in my journal, and I said, if this is what ministry is, I don't want it. I'm out. I'll do what I got to do to survive, but I'm done. And so it just began this really path of addiction where I just sought. I would say it was the day I rejected God. I opened up the door to the enemy in my life, and I put myself on my own throne. And I did what Angel wanted, when Angel wanted it, and how Angel wanted it. And it began with the gym. I got addicted to the gym. I was up at 4 a.m. every morning to be at the gym at 5 a.m. every morning. I pulled away from counseling, right? I didn't quit, but I didn't take on new clients, and I just slowly let the clients I had go. I ended up in this place having five jobs at one point. And so I just lived a very gypsy life. I was my own. I had a photography business. I worked at Lululemon Athletica. I became a hardcore yogi. Yeah, I did yoga every day. I still ran the benevolent stuff, the donut ministry. You know, I kept my face present. And I even remember one Sunday, a woman came up to me and she said, man, you just have it all together. I mm -hmm. wish I was more like you. And underneath, I could, I was just saying like, oh. Actually, I told her, I said, well, you should get to know me better because I actually don't. That was my most honest assessment right there. But yeah, so there's some news that came crashing down. And that day I just said, I'm done. And so I would say, let's see. So getting addicted to the gym, that's really where my adultery started. I got a personal trainer and he was a safe place for me because he wasn't a believer. And I could just vent knowing that I wouldn't hear what I needed to hear in return. He emotionally just coddled me, I guess you could say. And I could say whatever I want. And it was a really dangerous place. And so that was an emotional affair that led to a physical affair. And the moment that it became a physical affair was the moment that I just died in a completely different way inside. So part of my childhood in this dreaming about being a pastor's wife and a bride one day was also this crazy longing right? To be beautiful in God's eyes. I loved Proverbs 31. And so I remember like praying all the time, God, make me this Proverbs 31 woman. Like I want to be the Proverbs 31 woman and just had a misunderstanding of all of that as if it was my job to make myself the Proverbs 31 woman. But when that moment happened of adultery, that space inside of me completely died. Like it was complete hypocrisy to who God had called me to be, who I was made to be. And I became a hypocrite to everyone I knew, literally. And so that hatred towards John and that hatred towards the church and the hatred towards just suffering 
turned inward. And that I would say was the day I genuinely hated myself. And at that point I didn't care. And so that first affair that lasted for a little while turned into one night stands. I mean, and I did, you name it, I did it again. I got us into over $20,000 worth of debt. It was close to 20,000. If it wasn't 20,000, I just lived an evil lifestyle. So yeah, and I was stuck in my sin for almost three years. So my life on the backside of that is interesting. Like you mentioned June of 2009, it was an absolute wake-up call for me. The profound irony for me is that I lived three years as a terrible husband. And the next three years, I would actually be a very good Mm -hmm. husband, weirdly enough. Angel would have nothing to do with me. Cold as stone. She refused to go to counseling. She refused to open up to me. But I knew something was profoundly wrong. I just didn't know what it was. And so in that time, I actually genuinely, it was like God just grabbed me by the lapels and shook me. But it was a long season. It was the loneliest season of my life. I was depressed. What kept going on in my mind was, okay, God, I guess this is what my marriage is going to be for the rest of my life. I had to keep coming back. As long as she's here, as long as she doesn't divorce me, I will still be her husband. Mm. But I didn't know where the end was, and it didn't seem like it was in sight, and it felt like it was getting worse and worse, and in fact, it was. I was a master manipulator, a master deceiver, a master liar. I sold myself without collecting the cash, and it was a destructive time. And like John said, you don't know when the end is. In those moments, in that space, it feels so hopeless. Looking back on it, you can say, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that it was only three years, right? Mm -hmm. But in the moment, in that season, it just felt never ending. And so that began, I had jobs, and I would say about, let's see, two and a half years in. So I was in deep with an affair that I had been going into for about two years. And that was very, very, very evil on so many levels. And it was about two and a half years into my adultery. Someone came up, there's a Ivy League ministry, campus ministry called Christian Union. Similar or so the vice president came up to me and said, Hey, we have this position open as a ministry fellow. We really think you should apply. We think it would be perfect for you. And in my head, I'm thinking, no, 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 no. I know enough that God hates sin, and eventually the dark has to come to the light. And when this comes to the light, Mm -hmm. I would just Mm -hmm. be creating more ripples effect. But I was too afraid to release my secret or reveal it that I said, yes, I'll apply. And I accepted the job, and I had close to 80 young female college students that I was working, quote unquote, discipling. Praise the Lord. He had a curriculum. There was a curriculum that we could go through together. I do remember though, like the day that I got hired, one of the biggest blessings that I love about that ministry is that they do prayer calls every morning with your Mm -hmm. team and starting, and it was June 23rd, actually, I believe of 2012, I daily prayed for brokenness. I didn't even know what brokenness meant. I knew, though, that I was so entrapped in layers upon layers and upon layers of sin and deception 
that I could not get out of it myself. I had tried multiple times to get out of it myself. I did everything to try and get out of it myself, but it's a trap. It's a trap that the enemy uses that requires more than just yourself to get out of. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the bride of Christ. And so I started praying for brokenness, saying, God, I don't know what that means, but I know that I can't get myself out of this. And so for six months, I prayed for brokenness. Even with my girls, we would be in discipleship group and we would pray for brokenness. They didn't know why I was praying for that. But yeah, and so then that took us to January 31st of 2013. Friends, join us next week for part two of Broken and Restored where Angel and John are going to continue sharing their story and how God has taken them from that place of repentance all the way to restoration. So you're not going to want to miss next week's show. And I wish you could see what I see sitting here in the office. You would see a couple who are looking at each other so tenderly and have so been healed by God's grace that they can share their story out of a scar and not out of a wound. So friends, today as you hear this portion of John and Angel's story, I pray that you would see God's grace, that you would see God's compassion, and that you would see His ability to reconcile and to restore even in the hardest situations. So may you find encouragement in that today, and we'll see you back next week for part two of Broken and Restored. Thanks for listening. I pray you found hope in today's conversation and maybe even feel a little less alone in your story. Stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram at Reclaimed Story. Want to learn more about living a reclaimed life and how you can be a part of our growing community of reclaimers? Check out our website at reclaimstory.com. All of those links and more will be in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this inspirational podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. That is a huge help in helping us reach more people to live the reclaimed life. Thank you so much for listening. 